Volume six, chapter ten of Cecilia. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Dawn. Cecilia, Memoirs of an Heiress by Frances Burney. Volume six, chapter ten. A Retreat. The next morning, Cecilia arose late, not only to avoid the raillery of Lady Honoria, but to escape seeing the departure of Delville. She knew that the spirit with which she had left him made him at present think her wholly insensible, and she was at least happy to be spared the mortification of a discovery, since she found him thus content without even solicitation to resign her. Before she was dressed, Lady Honoria ran into her room. "'A new scheme of politics,' she cried. "'Our great statesman intends to leave us.' He can't trust his baby out of his sight, so he's going to nurse him while upon the road himself. Poor, pretty dear Mortimer! What a puppet do they make of him! I have a vast inclination to get a pat-boat myself and make him a present of it. Cecilia then inquired further particulars, and heard that Mr. Delville proposed accompanying his son to Bristol, whose journey, therefore, was postponed for a few hours to give time for new preparations. Mr. Delville who upon this occasion thought himself overwhelmed with business because before his departure he had some directions to give his domestics, chose to breakfast in his own apartment. Mrs. Delville, also wishing for some private conversation with her son, invited him to partake of hers in her dressing-room, sending an apology to her guests and begging they would order their breakfasts when they pleased. Mr. Delville, scrupulous in ceremony, had made sundry apologies to Lord Ernolf for leaving him, but his real anxiety for his son overpowering his artificial character, the excuses he gave to that nobleman were such as could not possibly offend, and the views of his lordship himself in this visit, being nothing interrupted so long as Cecilia continued at the castle, he readily engaged as a proof that he was not affronted to remain with Mrs. Delville till his return. Cecilia, therefore, had her breakfast with the two lords and Lady Honoria, and when it was over, Lord Ernolf proposed to his son riding the first stage with the two Mr. Delvilles on horseback. This was agreed upon, and they left the room, and then Lady Honoria, full of frolic and gaiety, seized one of the napkins and protested she would send it to Mortimer for a slabbering bib. She therefore made it up in a parcel and wrote upon the inside of the paper with which she enveloped it, a pinafore for Master Mortimer Delville, lest he should daub his pappy when he is feeding him. Eager to have this properly conveyed, she then ran out to give it in charge to her own man, who was to present him with it as soon as he got into the chaise. She had but just quitted the room when the door of it was again opened, and by Mortimer himself, booted and equipped for his journey. "'Miss Beverley here, and alone?' cried he, with a look and in a voice, which showed that all the pride of the preceding evening was sunk into the deepest dejection. "'And does she not fly as I approach her?' Can she patiently bear in her sight one so strange, so fiery, so inconsistent? But she is too wise to resent the ravings of a madman, and who, under the influence of a passion at once hopeless and violent, can boast, but at intervals, full possession of his reason. Cecilia, utterly astonished by a gentleness so humble, looked at him in silent surprise. He advanced to her mournfully and added, I am ashamed indeed of the bitterness of spirit with which I last night provoked your displeasure, when I should have supplicated your lenity. But though I was prepared for your coldness, I could not endure it, and though your indifference was almost friendly, 
it made me little less than frantic. So strangely may justice be blinded by passion, and every faculty of reason be warped by selfishness. You have no apology to make, sir, cried Cecilia, since, believe me, I require none. You may well, returned he, half smiling, dispense with my apologies, since under the sanction of that word I obtained your hearing yesterday. But believe me, you will now find me far more reasonable. A whole night's reflections, reflections which no repose interrupted, have brought me to my senses. Even lunatics, you know, have lucid moments. Do you intend, sir, to set off soon? I believe so. I wait only for my father. But why is Miss Beverley so impatient? I shall not soon return. That, at least, is certain and for a few instants delay may surely offer some palliation. See if I am not ready to again accuse you of severity. I must run, I find, or all my boasted reformation will end but in fresh offence, fresh disgrace, and fresh contrition. Adieu, madam, and may all prosperity attend you. That will be ever my darling wish, however long my absence, however distant the climates which may part us. He was then hurrying away, but Cecilia, from an impulse of surprise too sudden to be restrained, exclaimed, "'The climates? Do you then mean to leave England?' "'Yes,' cried he, with quickness, "'for why should I remain in it? A few weeks only could I fill up in any tour so near home, and hither in a few weeks to return would be folly and madness. In an absence so brief, what thought but that of the approaching meeting would occupy me?' And what, at that meeting, should I feel but joy, the most dangerous, and delight which I dare not think of? Every conflict renewed, every struggle refelt, again all this scene would require to be acted. Again I must tear myself away, and every tumultuous passion now beating in my heart would be revived, and, if possible, be revived with added misery. No, neither my temper nor my constitution will endure such another shock. One parting shall suffice and the fortitude with which I will lengthen my self-exile shall atone to myself for the weakness which makes it requisite. And then, with a vehemence that seemed fearful of the smallest delay, he was again, and yet more hastily going, when Cecilia, with much emotion, called out, Two moments, sir! Two thousand! Two million! cried he, impetuously, and returning with a look of the most earnest surprise, he added, What is it Miss Beverley will condescend to command? Nothing, cried she, recovering her presence of mind, but to beg you will by no means upon my account quit your country and your friends, since another asylum can be found for myself, and since I would much sooner part from Mrs. Delville, greatly and sincerely as I reverence her, than be instrumental to robbing her even for a month of her son. Generous and humane is the consideration, cried he, but who half so generous, so humane as Miss Beverley? so soft to all others, so noble in herself. Can my mother have a wish when I leave her with you? No, she is sensible of your worth. She adores you, almost as I adore you myself. You are now under her protection. You seem indeed born for each other. Let me not, then, deprive her of so honorable a charge. Oh, why must he who sees in such colors the excellencies of both who admires with such fervor the perfections you unite, be torn with this violence from the objects he reveres, even though half his life he would sacrifice to spend in their society what remained. Well then, sir, cried Cecilia, who now felt her courage decline, and the softness of sorrow steal fast upon her spirits, if you will not give up your scheme, 
Let me no longer detain you. Will you not wish me a good journey? Yes, very sincerely. And will you pardon the unguarded errors which have offended you? I will think of them, sir, no more. Farewell, then, most amiable of women, and may every blessing you deserve light on your head. I leave you to my mother, certain of your sympathetic affection for a character so resembling your own. When you, madam, leave her, may the happy successor in your favor. He paused. His voice faltered. Cecilia, too, turned away from him, and uttering a deep sigh, he caught her hand and, pressing it to his lips, exclaimed, Oh, great be your felicity, in whatever way you receive it! Pure is your virtues, and warm is your benevolence. Oh, too lovely Miss Beverley! Why, why must I quit you? Cecilia, though she trusted not her voice to reprove him, forced away her hand, and then, in the utmost perturbation, he rushed out of the room. This scene for Cecilia was the most unfortunate that could have happened. The gentleness of Delville was alone sufficient to melt her, since her pride had no subsistence when not fed by his own, and while his mildness had blunted her displeasure, his anguish had penetrated her heart. Lost in thought, and in sadness, she continued fixed to her seat, and looking at the door through which he had passed, as if with himself he had shut out all for which she existed. This pensive deduction was not long uninterrupted. Lady Honoria came running back with intelligence in what manner she had disposed of her napkin, and Cecilia, in listening, endeavoured to find some diversion. But her ladyship, though volatile, not undiscerning, soon perceived that her attention was constrained, and looking at her with much archness, said, I believe, my dear, I must find another napkin for you, not, however, for your mouth, but for your eyes. Has Mortimer been in to take leave of you? Take leave of me? No. Is he gone? Oh, no. Pappy has a world of business to settle first. He won't be ready these two hours. But don't look so sorrowful, for I'll run and bring Mortimer to console you. Away she flew, and Cecilia, who had no power to prevent her, finding her spirits unequal either to another parting, or to the raillery of Lady Honoria, should Mortimer for his own sake avoid it, took refuge in flight, and seizing an umbrella, escaped into the park, where, to perplex any pursuers, instead of choosing her usual walk, she directed her steps to a thick and unfrequented wood, and never rested till she was more than two miles from the house. Fidel, however, who now always accompanied her, ran by her side, and when she thought herself sufficiently distant and private to be safe, she sat down under a tree, and, caressing her faithful favorite, soothed her own tenderness by lamenting that he had lost his master, and having now no part to act, and no dignity to support, no observation to fear, and no inference to guard against, she gave vent to her long smothered emotions by weeping without caution or restraint. She had met with an object whose character answered all her wishes for him, with whom she should entrust her fortune, and whose turn of mind so similar to her own promised her the highest domestic felicity. To this object her affections had involuntarily bent. They were seconded by esteem and unchecked by any suspicion of impropriety in her choice. She had found, too, in return that his heart was all her own. Her birth, indeed, was inferior, but it was not disgraceful. Her disposition, education, and temper seemed equal to his fondest wishes. Yet at the very time when their union appeared most likely, when they mixed with the same society and dwelt under the same roof, when the father to one was the guardian to the other, 
and interest seemed to invite their alliance even more than affection. The young man himself, without counsel or command, could tear himself from her presence by an effort all his own, forbear to seek her heart, and almost charge her not to grant it, and determining upon voluntary exile, quit his country and his connections with no view and for no reason, but merely that he might avoid the sight of her he loved. Though the motive for this conduct was now no longer unknown to her, she neither thought it satisfactory nor necessary. Yet, while she censured his flight, she bewailed his loss, and though his inducement was repugnant to her opinion, his command over his passions she admired and applauded. End of chapter 10